WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital, doctors, health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital, it's for you. Want to fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I'm Tracy Matisak, and in this episode, we're talking about ADHD in kids. It's a condition that researchers have been studying for over 100 years, but it's only in the last 30 years or so that attention deficit hyperactivity disorder entered the public consciousness. Since then, millions of kids and More than a few adults have been diagnosed with ADHD. So what is it exactly, and what do we need to know about kids and ADHD? For that, we turn to Dr. Timothy Leonetti, who earned his PhD in school psychology from Lehigh University in 2001. Since then, he's been on the faculty at a number of universities, he's been active in his own private practice, and has consulted with many schools and mental health agencies. Currently, he is the General Pediatric Outpatient Director at Geisinger. Dr. Leonetti, welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. Thank you, Tracy. I'm glad to be here. Well, so I think many of us, when we think about ADHD, we picture a fidgety child who can't sit still and can't pay attention, but that's not entirely accurate, is it? Um, uh, It gives a pretty good description, actually, of what we might see, but it is certainly much more than just fidgetiness or inattentiveness. Um, And it's one of the reasons, as you noted, we have learned so much about it in the last 30 or so years, because it is something that we actually can see compared to, say, things like anxiety disorders or depression. So it it is one of those things that we get to notice much more in classrooms or at home. Um, But as you said, it is more than just inattention and uh, hyperactive or impulsive behaviors. That certainly um, is a large part of it in terms of actually creating a diagnosis, but it's also a very persistent and pervasive disorder. And what I mean by that is that it impacts a lot of different areas. And in fact, by uh, definition, it needs to be impacted at least in two different areas. And that's why we hear about it from kids so much because we see them in school. And you'll see much different behaviors or many more behaviors often in school because of the task demands that school requires. And as you can imagine, just just even if we just said it was inattention and hyperactivity, uh, you could see how being in school that this would be something that's very difficult to accomplish with those kinds of behaviors. And persistent meaning that it, it does last over time. Um, and you we are focusing on children, but yeah, most kids and I would say about uh, only about 15% of kids with ADHD are grow out of it. So most of us will, with uh, most kids with ADHD, will become adults with ADHD. Which I would think is all the more important that it's diagnosed in childhood, so that at least uh, treatment can get underway and and you can begin to manage it early. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm going to say uh, with almost any of the mental health disorders, the earlier we can get at it and help treat it, the better for sure. And um, we know how important kindergarten through third grade is 
for students and kids to get their uh, feet wet to the public school system or even the private school system, just in terms of education. Um, yeah, so the earlier the better. And in fact, again, not to say by definition, we have to see some of these behaviors before age 12. So they're not completely young, but usually before age 12. It's not to say that people can't start displaying or we're not we're noticing it after that, but generally um, we'll see these behaviors before 12, which would put us at about sixth grade or so, seventh grade. We tend also, doctor, to think about ADHD as affecting boys more than girls. At least I think that's the picture that usually comes to mind. But does the research bear that out? Yes, actually it does. Um, There are more boys than uh, girls who are diagnosed with ADHD. And um, that's for a variety of reasons. One, it could be certainly related to socialization and how boys and girls are socialized differently. And also just genetics. Um, which I will go back to before um, when you noted that it was, it's more than just inattention. It is a neurogenetic disorder. It is just a quirk of fate when um, babies are are developed in utero, uh, something changes in their genetics and you end up having a child with ADHD. And doctor, you mentioned inattentiveness and hyperactivity. I wonder if you could drill down a little bit on those to give us a sense of what they really look like and whether they're different in the way they express themselves in children than in adults. So uh, that's such actually an important question because one of the key factors for ADHD is that it is about a developmentally or age-appropriate inattention and excessive activity. And I'm gonna get into a little bit and just drill down more than just that. Um, So at 30, no matter who we are, we're all less hyperactive, less impulsive, and more attentive than we were at three or four or seven. Um, So it is about, the comparison is within that age appropriate group. So I'm not gonna compare myself to someone who is four because they are clearly gonna be less attentive. So it's really much more of a disorder of, can I regulate my behaviors? Um, So before when we talked about, is it more than just inattention? It certainly is. So we have these um, seven or so skills, mental abilities actually, um, that we call executive functions. And they're called that because as you can imagine, they're like a CEO or some executive who is trying to managing uh, people. But for us, it's a, or for kids with ADHD and for all of us, quite frankly, it is about controlling our um, actions. There's uh, a number of these executive functions that are impacted in different ways for kids with ADHD. So they could be things like um, my self-awareness or my inhibition. As I said, it's a self-regulation problem. And the inhibition piece is a huge part of that. It actually is almost impossible for kids with ADHD to inhibit responses. Um, Other things like emotional control and things in self-motivation and planning and problem solving, those are the kinds of things that uh, are impacted by uh, ADHD. And so you mentioned that most kids will not outgrow 
ADHD. Only a, a small percentage of them will and will carry it into adulthood. Um, what kinds of tools do you suggest for managing? And I know that you're not someone who prescribes necessarily, but what other modalities are there for helping to manage it? Yeah, so that is really the good note, the good news. Um, it is treatable, and there are a ton of people who have been quite successful despite the persistent and pervasive nature of ADHD. Um, I actually recently just heard that uh, we see Michael Phelps a lot on commercials for depression. Apparently he also has ADHD. And again, rather successful, at least in one area, uh, like swimming. So there are some really good treatments out there. And you're right, I don't prescribe. That doesn't say that I'm not aware of the medication um, that's out there. Um, but there also are also behavioral treatments, and there are a variety of medications. Um, and I will suggest this. Medication seems to be the best single-factor treatment, but is better when combined with behavioral treatments. And I know many parents are hesitant to, take, to get medications prescribed, and I think there's some valid reasons for doing that. And it's really important that they speak with the physician about any of those concerns or questions that they have. So while medication is really useful, and I'm going to say literature suggests around it's effective for about 80% of the kids with ADHD. So even with that, it doesn't work for everybody with ADHD, but it is probably the single best treatment. But the combination of medication and behavioral interventions uh, is better than either one alone. You know, you mentioned Michael Phelps a moment ago, which raises a couple of questions. Um, number one, whether ADHD does tend to show up with some other mental health issue like depression or anxiety or, or something else like that. And then the second thing I'd like to talk about is is hyper-focus. And I understand that with ADHD, it's not just a matter of you know, not being able to pay attention, that in fact, you can focus very well on things that you may be very interested in or that are very important to you. So um, I guess a, a two-parter there, number one, uh, yeah. does ADHD tend to occur with other issues? Um, it, for sure it does. Um, you mentioned anxiety, depression. Those are two very co-occurring disorders with ADHD. Um, I'm going to say equally often is something called oppositional defiant disorder. And I'll define that briefly. Um, that is really kids who are non-compliant and defiant. Don't follow rules, don't follow directions, argumentative with parents, um, maybe purposely annoy, or might be described as kind of nudgy. That's what I mean by purposely annoy others. Um, so that often is another disorder that is uh, co-occurring with ADHD. Um, the second part of your question is an interesting one. There are many parents that I have spoken with that suggest, well, my child doesn't have ADHD because they can play video games wonderfully and they can play for hours on end. And I'm gonna suggest that video games actually are set up wonderfully for kids with ADHD to play for hours on end. It's lots of buzzers and bells, lots of reinforcement or rewards, um, moving fast paced, screens change. So at times kids with ADHD can focus rather well, depending on that environment. So that's interesting that 
Um, and I, I thought about Michael Phelps as a swimmer and all the focus and the concentration that it takes to achieve at that level, um, that clearly he's able to, you know, to focus and to, uh, to be diligent about something to a high degree. Yeah, so let's, I'll, I'll mention Michael Phelps again, just in that he's obviously got a superior skill compared to most of us in swimming. And his parents shepherded that skill. Um, he did a, his parents did quite a lot of unique kinds of things, like um, took him out of the school he was in when his coach moved and moved with his coach um, to help foster that skill. Because schooling apparently was not his thing. Uh, as again, it's pretty common with kids with ADHD. But I also want to suggest that kids with ADHD can't be successful in school. It's just much harder to. Um, so I don't know how much he was hyper-focused on it, other than that he was spending a lot of time. In early, early on, uh, as a youngster, his parents would just get him in the pool as much as possible because he enjoyed it. Um, so again, something can't concentrate at all. It's just for much briefer periods of time than you would expect given someone's age. It also sounds like there's an important role for parents here in in sort of identifying and paying attention to your child's struggles and trying to be creative in terms of helping them to maximize their potential. Uh, yes, parents are very important. Um, when I mentioned behavioral disorders previously, um, most of those treatments will be with parents, helping them learn to understand what ADHD is and is not. There's a lot of misinformation out there about what ADHD is and is not. Um, so yeah, they're a key to not just being creative, but um, understanding the disorder is a huge piece um, for, for parents to be cognizant of. Um, the support of parents are incredibly helpful, uh, especially for long-term success. Um, I think it's helpful when parents recognize that it is not something that they've done wrong. It's not willful misbehavior. Um, and I hear a lot of that from parents um, feeling blamed from others that their child is just, you know, purposely acting up. If we can come to a point where we all accept that this is a real disorder, um, no obviously different than diabetes, but no different in terms of it's just some, some genetic roulette happened and this, these kids are ADHD. So it's helpful then to find ways to make up for those deficits I talked about earlier in those executive functions. And, and that's the major focus for treatment. How do we help make environments that can compensate for those deficits in um, executive functioning? Well, you raise an important point, and I want to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back right after this. WVIA presents a Mind Over Matter Minute. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Faulkner from Geisinger. Mindfulness is a type of meditation focusing on being aware of what you're sensing and feeling in the moment to help relax your body and mind and reduce stress. A simple mindfulness exercise uses your five senses. Take a few slow breaths and ask yourself, what are three things I can hear? What are three things I can see? What are three things I can feel? What are three things I can smell? What are three things I can taste? Think of these answers slowly, one sense at a time. It doesn't take long, so anyone can make time for this exercise. 
For more, visit wvia.org forward slash mindovermatter or dial 211 to speak with someone who can help. Mind Over Matter is presented by WVIA in partnership with Geisinger. And welcome back to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I'm Tracy Matisak, and we're talking with Dr. Timothy Leonetti, who is the General Pediatric Outpatient Director at Geisinger. We're talking about ADHD in children in particular. And Dr. Leonetti, when we left off just a moment ago, you were talking about the importance of being able to kind of create the right environment for kids who have ADHD for them to be successful. And I'd love for you to say a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. Um, Given the deficits that we've talked about, there are ways to help structure or set up our environments that uh, kids will come in contact with. So school, again, a big one, right? It's one of those things that kids are, all kids are mandated to be in, in here in Pennsylvania from the age of six on up. And it suits um, kids very poorly to be sitting still for so long, uh, kids with ADHD, that is, of course, sitting still for so long and needing to pay attention and not get up and move around. So there's lots of things we can do at the schools uh, to help assist with that. And it changes as we get older. So initially, it's um, certainly about providing breaks and the assignments tend to be shorter term. But even in early elementary schools, we can uh, often get kids who have homework assignments that are um, a worksheet of math problems that can become overwhelming, but we can chunk that down for them, literally by cutting that piece of paper into little strips and having them do a problem at a time. When they finish the problem, they ought to get up, hand that in, and get the next set hmm. of, of problems. Um, two much more um, specific things, one of the main pieces that is impacted by ADHD is the ability to worry about what comes next or into the future. Now, I shouldn't say necessarily worry, but think about consequences that occur in the future. They have what is called, often called the time blindness, where they cannot keep track of time. So this is, um, and if uh, parents of, of kids with ADHD are listening, this is when they, they come to you and they have, it's, you know, 10 p.m. in the evening and they wake up and they go, oh my goodness, I forgot about the assignment that's due tomorrow <laughs> that was assigned last week. And we're rushing around trying to, as parents, trying to get that uh, assignment completed or begging, begging teachers the next day to give them a little extra time. So long-term assignments are one of those examples in schools that are just not going to be very effective for children. I was just going to say, I, I laugh because I have been there uh, before with the last minute assignments and all of that kind of thing. And I'm sure a lot of parents can can relate to that, ADHD or not. Um, yeah. That is, you know, that's quite common. So let me, let me just say one more. The other piece that is a common occurrence at homes and in schools, um, we as adults are really good at giving kids strings of directions. Uh, at home, it might be, okay. Go to your room, brush your teeth, get your pajamas on, get your book out and get into bed. And then 10 minutes later, we go check on our child and they maybe are in their room, maybe have brushed their teeth but forgot most of them. Or in school, okay, it's time to get your notebook out, your math book out, a pencil, turn to page 200 and do problems one to 30 odd. And the child with ADHD maybe has got the pencil out and then... You know, as adults, we're like, we told you to do X, Y, and Z. So long string 
directions are things that we could really need to cut down on one step at a time, maybe two directions at a time. As you're saying all of that, Doctor, I'm thinking about all of the generations of kids who struggled with ADHD before it was a thing, and that is before we really understood what what it was that they were dealing with. And I mentioned early on that, you know, it's something that researchers have been aware of for a long time, but it seems like it's only in the last 30 years or so that we've been talking about it kind of in the public square, if you will, and we've seen a lot of children be diagnosed. Um, What happened in the 90s that sort of put it on the radar for the public? Well, I think like a lot of a lot of the disorders that become popular, I'll, I'll make an analogy to um, more recently, autism has become a very uh, better, well-known, understood disorder. Um, there's research that begins to happen and we uh, learn more about it and it becomes more easily um, seen and known about. And again, because of the behaviors, we saw these kids all the time. And we just always attribute it to willful misbehavior or just kids just acting up. Or sometimes you'd hear the excuse, oh, boys will be boys. Um, and as a result of that, it's something that uh, a number of people have taken on in the research realm and in, in, in um, medical centers and universities. And we just found out a lot about it since the, over the past 30 years. And that's actually the really good news about it. We do know so much about it. I'm going to say that's also a little bit of a, a curse, despite that blessing, because there is also a lot of misinformation out there online about ADHD. So um, I also have found that people tend to attribute either within themselves or parents or teachers, oh, your child must have ADHD, because we all have some of these characteristics, but that persistent and pervasiveness is not there. And I failed to mention before, there needs to be some kind of harm. So again, typically for kids, it's difficulties with peer interactions, school academic problems. So we've come to know about it through the efforts of you know, a body of people working on it tirelessly for years. Well, and to that point, you were talking about the fact that it's, you know, we all kind of have some of these qualities and exhibit some of these traits. Um, and ADHD gets thrown around so much now as a term. Do you think that um, kids are overdiagnosed with it or, or too commonly diagnosed um, with it? Because it just seems like something that, um, you know, we, we, we throw the term around all the time. So, Tracy, I actually um, will say, no, I don't think it's overdiagnosed. I think the term is definitely thrown around too much. And I think parents then hear either, uh, uh, you know, a teacher say maybe they have ADHD and take that as a diagnosis. Or friends might say, maybe your kid has ADHD. Or I may say about my child, oh, maybe they have ADHD. And we take that as a diagnosis. But actually, we're, we're pretty... The research has come pretty far. It's five to seven, eight percentish worldwide, um, consistently in different cultures of kids that have ADHD. So um, I, I'm going to suggest because it's so consistent that five to eight percent ish across the globe, it's not really overdiagnosed. It's being diagnosed pretty, pretty, um, pretty well and consistently on a pretty good basis. I think it's that we hear the term, we know so much about it. People throw it out kind of loosely, and then we think it's a diagnosis that gives the impression that it's overdiagnosed. Yeah. 
you mentioned medication a little while ago, and you talked about the importance of both medication and talk therapy with the help of a, a professional. Um, and I know that you don't prescribe, but I do want to talk a little bit about the medications that are available. I mean, typically, what would a child be prescribed or what are some of the medication options that might be out there? Yeah. So the again, because of that, what we just talked about for 30 years and all the research has gone into it, a ton of medications have been developed. The list is very long and new ones continue to be introduced. So um, Ritalin, of course, most people know. Um, Adderall, Stratera, Concerta, uh, Intuitive. There are, those are the ones I'm gonna say I see most often prescribed from their from physicians, either their primary care doctors or their psychiatrist. Um, you know, the tricky part about that is because it's been around for a long time, medication's been around for a long time. Um, there's so many different generic brands, brand uh, off-brand names. So methylphenidate is used for a variety of those other medications I mentioned. We'll just complicate things, and again, it's medications are not is not my expertise area since I don't prescribe. But there's two different types of medications. Some fall in the stimulant uh, arena, and some fall into the non-stimulant arena. Uh, and so it's very confusing, which is why I suggested that parents try to go learn as much as they can about ADHD, and certainly ask as many questions as they can of. Um, their prescriber about those particular medications, because as we know, many of them have side effects, which is often a hesitation for parents to prescribe them. But I'm gonna suggest there's also some pretty bad side effects for no treatment either. Mm -hmm. Well, and along those lines, um, Dr. Leonetti, you mentioned earlier that you know parents can be a, a bit skittish about putting their children on medication. Um, what would you say to a parent, and, and again, you know, not prescribing the drug, but if a parent was expressing some hesitation, um, what would you tell them in terms of what the benefits could be or, or how would you address that concern? Yeah, so uh, I'm gonna say what I said, this is what I tell parents almost verbatim. I let them know that there is great indication that medication is by far the best treatment but of course they get to make a choice about that. And I help them list a, a list of uh, questions that they would have for a prescriber and to help uh, encourage them and support them in asking as many of those questions to get the accurate information uh, from a physician. And again, I think information is rather empowering. So that's, that's uh, what I, when I work with parents, that's what I try to tell them to do. Um, let's you know, read about them, uh, ask questions about them, uh, but to just try to help them be open to the idea. Yeah. And for the children, um, Dr. Leonetti, who may, you know, experience kind of a crisis of confidence, right, and feel like, you know, I have ADHD and that's why I have trouble learning and am I ever going to be able to, you know, do all the things? Um, how do you address that? And, and what can you say to a child who is struggling with confidence because of a diagnosis like ADHD. Yeah, so just like parents need to understand what ADHD is, so do kids. And again, that, that it's gonna be obviously different for a seven-year-old compared to a 14-year-old, but I think we need to explain to them what ADHD is and is not, and what we can expect from them and not from them, and help them recognize that this behavior is not a matter of fault. It is 
just the way their brain is structured and they have real difficult, if not an impossible time of self-regulating. Because it does impact academics, and I'm not so sure that it's actually the ADHD that creates the lack of confidence, but they recognize that their academics are not keeping up maybe with their, their peers. And I think it's more likely those other things associated with ADHD, not so much ADHD itself that gives that lack of confidence. So we help boost that up like we would with anyone else because anxiety, quite frankly, help, hurts kids' confidence as well. Being depressed hurts kids' confidence. Uh, kids without any mental health disorder who struggle academically, it hurts their confidence. So we would do the same kinds of things and help them look at that differently. Um, to help them recognize that there, these are those, this is where they are currently and help, uh, yeah, help build up their confidence that they can do these things. And finally, Dr. Leonetti, um, when properly treated, what would you say is the prognosis for kids who are diagnosed with ADHD? Yeah, so I noted before that there are a lot of people we've heard about. Uh, I must mention Michael Phelps, uh, Justin Timberlake, uh, Simone Biles, some other names people might know. So the prognosis can be good with good treatment. Without it is the issue. So uh, it's going to vary from person to person. Uh, resources are um, available at differing rates in different areas, but wherever it is, getting the best treatment that you can as early as you can would be the, be the best prognosis for kids. And again, in my opinion, the combination of medication management with the physician and behavioral interventions are the most, the, the best chance for a kid to be successful. Dr. Timothy Leonetti is the General Pediatric Outpatient Director at Geisinger. Dr. Leonetti, thank you so much for making time to talk with us. Tracy, it was my pleasure. I'm Tracy Matisak. You're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast. For more information on this and other mental health topics, check out our website at wvia.org slash mindovermatter. Thanks for listening. See you next time. WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital? Doctors? Health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital. It's for you. Want to fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy.